You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. I am so excited to share this message. I've been thinking and praying and chewing on this message for no joke about four months. And so today, um, today's message is all about grammar. Come on, how are you excited when you hear that? Uh, that today's message, yes, one English teacher back in the back. Um, it's all about grammar. In fact, uh, this Christmas, I want to share a message that God put on my heart that I've entitled, if you're taking notes, the most powerful adverb of all time. That's what I want to talk about today, the most powerful adverb of all time. And so quick, just participation. How many of you, by show of hands, uh, that you would say you know what an adverb is. Just raise it up real high. Don't T-Rex arm. Let's go real high. I'm only going to call on two or three of you to come tell us on the mic. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, some of you are like, nope, I do not know. Okay. Um, an adverb is just simply this. It, it's a word that modifies a verb. Uh, another way to say it is it's a word that adds to a verb. So just, a, just some examples. Let's see if we're all on the same page here today at this Christmas service. Is that here, Here's an example. The reindeer quickly flew off of the roof. What's the adverb? That's right, quickly. That's right. Do not say it too fast, young man. That's my son. You were in here last service. Do not say it faster than anybody else. You hear me? Okay. Second example. The kids enthusiastically opened their Christmas gifts. What's the adverb? That's right. And then Greg, here's the last one. Greg strategically stood under the mistletoe all night like a creeper. How many of you know a Greg in your life, okay? See if you remember, what is the adverb? Strategically, that's right. That's an adverb. An adverb is a word that just simply modifies a verb or adds to a verb. And to prepare for this message, I actually did a deep dive study on all things adverbs. Doesn't that just sound so much fun? Uh, that to prepare for this message, I just did a deep dive study of adver- adverbs. Some of you are like, what do pastors do all day? That's what I did, okay? Uh, just studied adverbs. Now, one of the biggest things that I learned is that adverbs are actually a huge negative. It's a big no-no in professional writing. In fact, professional writers and authors are actually taught to get rid of adverbs as much as possible. Uh, September C. Fox, who's an editor and writer, wrote this, don't use adverbs because it weakens your writing. And this is an article, an excerpt from an article that I found at, uh, from Chatham University's professional writing Masters of Arts program. And it said, adverbs are one of the most divisive writing tools in language. Some authors wish to see adverbs in a discarded heap along with sentence fragments and comma splicing. Let's just be honest here. Those are actually the worst, okay? Just the absolute worst. Fragments and splicing, get them out of here, okay? It says adverbs are work. They get tedious. Even the most devoted reader would get exhausted after trudging through sentences upon sentences of adverbs. 
And then author Stephen King actually said this, I believe the road to hell is paved with adverbs. That is so dramatic, isn't it? The, the road to hell is paved with adverbs. It's not. Uh, that's really bad theology, but just... <laughs> It's so dramatic. And uh, while adverbs are a big no-no and just a huge negative in professional writing, today I've actually intentionally, purposefully, dare I say defiantly, centered our entire Christmas message around an adverb. But not just any adverb. This is an adverb that I believe with all my heart is the most powerful adverb of all time, because this adverb actually takes the message of Christmas to a whole nother level. Let me show you. Matthew chapter one is the Christmas story. And it starts out in verse 18, and this is where we'll read just for a few moments. The Bible says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit and she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now this is the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is the fact that God is with us, that God sent his son Jesus to us. And here's why that is such a big deal. Here is why that is so significant for you and I today on December 23rd is because wherever you're at today, no matter how you find yourself at church right now, whether you're good bad, somewhere in between, whether you're hurting, skeptical, stressed, anxious, depressed, exhausted, close to God, far from God, whatever, no matter where you're at today, here's the truth. You are not alone. That you are never alone because Jesus is with you. In fact, think about this. Jesus's very name, Emmanuel, is screaming that we're not alone that God is with us. Let me say it this way, that Christmas is all about the simple fact that Jesus didn't wait for us to come to him. He came to us. Smile, church, that is some really good news. That is what Christmas is all about. It's about this simple fact that Jesus didn't wait for us to come to him. He came to us, which, by the way, is so different from religion. Because religion says that you and I, that we have to work our way up to God. But Christmas is about the fact that God already worked his way down to 
us. But here's the the question that I've been thinking about for months. I've been chewing on this message for at least four months. And here's the question that I cannot get out of my head. And I think it's a question that's so important for you and I to be able to wrap our minds around this Christmas. Because here's the truth. I understand what God did. I understand that God sent his son, Jesus, to this world. I understand what God did when it comes to the message of Christmas. But what's the why behind the what? Like, why did he do that? Do I have any why people in church today? I know I'm a why person. I've got to know the why. And so why? Why did he do that? Why did God send Jesus to us? And to answer that question, I want to look at perhaps the most well-known verse in the Bible that you have probably heard many, many times, John 3, 16. But, But tonight, I want to look at it from a totally different perspective because I think that this one verse not only is a perfect summary of the message of Christmas, but it also clearly tells us the why behind the message of Christmas. Let's read it together. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he did what people who are in love do. And he gave his one and only son. That whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So why in the world did God send Jesus? What is the why behind the what? You ready? It's because he loved us. That is the why behind the what of Christmas. It's because he loved us. Love is why Christmas is Christmas. Love is the motivation behind God with us. And let me say it this way. How many of you have ever heard the saying that Jesus is the reason for the season? Anybody heard of that? That Jesus is the reason for the season? Well, if Jesus is the reason for the season, love is the reason for the reason for the season. I said that so fast. Let me say it again. Let that sink deep into your soul tonight. If Jesus is the reason for the season, love is the reason for the reason for the season. But in that verse, if you look closely, did you notice the adverb? Did you notice that very important adverb? Because I think it's so easy to read this verse, especially if you've heard it over and over and over and over again, for you to be able to miss out and to just skip past and blaze right past that little adverb, so. And my question is, why is that in there? Doesn't God know the rules of professional writing? Has he not heard that super dramatic quote by Stephen King about adverbs? Like, honestly, wouldn't that verse be okay without the adverb? Wouldn't that verse still be powerful and miraculous and transformational without it? Wouldn't it be enough if it just said, for God loved the world? I mean, We're talking about the God that has no beginning and no end, who's called the Alpha and the Omega, who's the first and the last, who with his words created the universe, who is limitless, 
who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, who is ever-present, who is perfect, who is holy. Wouldn't it be enough if that famous verse just said, for God loved the world, but God said, no, 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 I want an adverb. We need an adverb in that bad boy. God said, I want an adverb. So the disciple John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote, for God so loved the world. Let me make it just a little bit personal for us. For God so loved me, and for God so loved you that he gave his son, Jesus. And in my humble yet accurate opinion, that word so is the most powerful adverb of all time. Out of all the adverbs that have ever been written in human history, that one right there is the most powerful adverb of all time. And here's why that little two-letter word is the most powerful adverb of all time. Because that adverb, don't miss this, is there for you to know how God loves you, not just that God loves you. With this two Letter, adverb. God is saying, I don't just love you. I so love you. I really, really love you. Just like the song that our worship team led right before I got up here. That God just doesn't love us. God really loves us. I have that adverb there for a purpose. And listen, listen, God is not content with you just knowing that he loves you. He wants you to know how he loves you. And that little adverb tells us how God loves us. And here's how, and here are three things I want you to know about how God loves you. Number one, God loves you before. God loves you before, which means that before you were born, before you ever breathed your first breath, God loved you. Before you ever knew about him, God loved you. Before you ever made the decision to love him back, God loved you. Before you ever had a thought about whether or not you would love him back, God loved you. Before you ever followed him, before you ever lived for him, before you ever made good choices, before you ever did anything for him, God loved you. He didn't wait to see how you would turn out and then make a decision to love you. Get this, the Bible says that even before there was a world for you to be born on, God loved you. Let me show you. Ephesians chapter one, verse four and five, it says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And by the way, he didn't have to. No one had a theological gun up to his head for him to do that. No, it says this is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. You need to understand of how God loves you that so that God, he loves you before. Second thing that you need to know is that God loves you unconditionally. There are no strings attached 
to his love. God loves you unconditionally, which means that there's nothing that you can do to change it. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. And there's nothing that you can do to lose it. You can deny him and he still loves you. You can doubt him and he still loves you. You can ignore him and he still loves you. You can be mad at him. You can hate him and he still loves you. You can reject him your entire life. And guess what? He still loves you. He loves you whether you love him or not, whether you believe in him or not, whether you accept him or not, whether you follow him or not, whether you live for him or not, whether you serve him or not, whether you go to church or not. He loves you unconditionally. That's because it's not based on what you do. It's based on who he is. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, Two different times, the Bible says that God is love. You need to understand today that God just doesn't have love. He is love. It's who he is. It's his nature, it's his character. So that means him loving you is not based on what you do. It's based on who he, uh, who he is. It's not based on your conduct. It's based on his character. Let me say it this way. God cannot not love you. That is bad grammar, but it is good preaching. God cannot not love you. Listen, there's nothing that you can do to make God love you any more or any less. In fact, God will never love you more than he does right now, and God will never love you any less than he does right now. Author Brennan Manning beautifully wrote this, that God has a single relentless stance toward us he loves us. You need to understand that God loves you unconditionally. That's how he loves you. That's wrapped up in that beautiful adverb, so. Here's the third thing. The third thing is that God loves you at a tremendous cost. Oh, by the way, let me read one verse to you. Go back, go back. We're, we're gonna actually get that verse. You need to hear this. It's way better than what Brennan Manning says. Romans 8. It says, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, God loves you unconditionally. And then the third is this, is that God loves you at a tremendous cost. That's wrapped up in that word so. In the most powerful adverb of all time that it communicates how he loves us, we need to know that God loves you at a tremendous cost, which means his love, it comes at a very high price. Now today, we are celebrating the, the birth of Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about. This fact that he is Emmanuel, God with us. But you need to also understand that 33 years later, that same Jesus, God's one and only son, would be nailed to a wooden cross. And he did this because it was actually God's plan to put all the sins of the world, including my sins, and including your sins on his innocent son so that he could offer him 
as a perfect sacrifice for all of humanity so that we could be right with God and have restored relationship with God. And, and here's the truth. The truth is like, it's so easy to hear that, especially if you've heard it a lot. And it's so easy to let that just bounce off our heart. Almost like it becomes white noise. Because too many times, people like me are supposed to stand up here and on days like this and say, hey, God loves you. Like he really loves you. He so loves you. And it's so easy for that to just become white noise and for us to miss the weight and the magnitude of that statement. And let me tell you what really clicked for me as I was thinking about this and how God loves us and that God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus. And here's how that clicked with me is because I actually have two sons that are in this room right now. And here's a picture of my family. Um, I love my family. Those two little boys, I love them with all my heart. And here's the crazy thing about those two little booger eaters. Kidding, they don't eat boogers. Here's the crazy thing. Those two little boys are the only two people that I've never had to choose to love. I just did. From the, the first moment that I saw them, I loved them. They literally did nothing. They did nothing to earn it, except exist. Everybody else in my life, including you, who I love, I've had to choose to love. And as I started thinking about how God loves us and the weight and the magnitude of this one scripture that contains the most powerful adverb of all time, I started to think about my boys and there's no way that I could sacrifice them for you. I love you, I love you, but I don't love you that much. The truth is I couldn't be forced to do that, much less choose to do that. And here's what blows my mind. And every time I think about this, all I can do is just say, thank you, God. Because get this, God did that just for the chance that you would love him back. It wasn't even guaranteed. He gives each and every one of us a choice, but he did it anyway, just for the chance that you would love him back, just for the chance to have a relationship with you. And that's what 1 John chapter four, verse nine and 10, listen to, the, listen to what this language says. The Bible says that God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world. That's a tremendous cost. So that we, that we might. He paid that high price just for a might. That we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God so loved the world. God so loves you. He really, really loves you. See, that's the why 
behind the what? That's why God sent Jesus. That's why Christmas is Christmas. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If there's anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com slash prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at queencitypeople or visit queencitypeople.com.